welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher here with Tom. Tom, how the heck have you been? Recovered from our expo expedition? It's sad, yes. No, I can't <laughs> There weren't people in costumes everywhere. It was terrible. But oh, I, I know. I felt the same. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just really tired. I hope everyone enjoyed our coverage of the Cincinnati Comic Expo. We certainly had a lot of fun uh, making it. And a lot of fun at that weekend. It was a it was a good time. It was nice to uh, get back out there, and it, I it energized me. It honestly did. I felt energized after coming back from the from the expo. I was really determined. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to edit stuff. I'm going to update the website. I'm going <laughs> to yes. I, I got ideas. <laughs> yes, at the at the post dinner, the the post show dinner, uh, there was lamentation over i need to get out there and interview again (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it did it it absolutely did it really kind of um got the juices flowing again it was a lot of fun so yeah of course now now end of the year and convention season if the if you if there was a convention season's coming to a close because the holidays are coming up but right Next year, <laughs> everything I was going to do like two years ago, I'm going to do next year. <laughs> it's kind of funny in my area, there's a bunch of little things going on, and I still have actually Baltimore Comic Con coming up. So, mm. uh, tend to take Jack to that. But uh, there, bit, there was a Monster Mania here last weekend. Didn't get to go to it, but I understand it had like Christopher Lloyd and R- Richard Dreyfus at this. Richard Dreyfus. Yes, Richard. Dreyfus. That's an interesting get. I know, right? Uh, I, I was informed by one of the attendees that, uh, yeah, at one point during the day, Richard just got tired and decided to leave, with people still in the line waiting to get his autograph. I've obviously never seen him live or anything like that, but I've seen like comedians do parodies of him. Mm-hmm. And that seems like exactly the type of thing that they would do in a Richard Dreyfus impression. <laughs> so may, there might be something to it. <laughs> very well could be, but uh, but yeah, no. Uh, apparently, there was a nice little mix of folks there. Um, sorry, I didn't get to go see that. It must have been a real tangential. I mean, kind of like Close Encounters of the Third Kind is the only like genre piece that I can think of Dreyfus doing. Am I missing anything? Something? Is he in Jaws? Wasn't he? He was. In oh, Jaws. of course, of course, Jaws. Right. Yeah, Jaws, oh, that, Jaws. there's your monster connection. That's yeah. your monster connection. That's your horror film. Yep. Can't believe I didn't think of Jaws. 
Can't believe I almost didn't myself. <laughs> it been a while for that one. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of little uh, conventions and stuff that was that was going to go on before the world came to a screeching halt that I had planned on going to. Little toy conventions mm-hmm. and small comic conventions. And these are the kind of things that are like literally like in some school's gymnasium sort of thing. But they're all like within a couple hours drive and they cost like five dollars to get in i'm like i'm gonna hit every single one of these you know all the ones that i can i am gonna go to these things and then yeah i just i couldn't because they didn't exist so hopefully they survive and hopefully they come back next year and if so i will be hitting as many of them as i can if nothing else just i don't know to say i was there there'll be a picture of me outside of with of the with the sign or something Pick your favorite vendor and get your picture taken with him. (laughs) I choose you and your little booth. (laughs) You never know who you're going to bump into. I mean, we, same thing happened to us when we went to the expo. We had no idea, you know, who we were going to bump into and talk. We ended up finding a couple really interesting people that kind of made the the whole uh, day for us. Mm -hmm. But we'll get into that a little bit more a little later. There is some, uh, speaking of uh, updating websites and this and that and all that stuff, I wanted to mention, uh, do a little house cleaning and everything. I wanted to mention that we are an Amazon affiliate, which means that if you follow the link that is on our website uh, and click there before you go to Amazon and make any purchases, we get a few cents from those purchases. It doesn't cost the user anything extra. It just takes a little bit of money out of Amazon's pocket and puts it in ours. And that, of course, can help support uh, the, the websites. That'll help server fees, uh, equipment if it needs to be replaced, etc. So that link has not been used much <laughs> despite me trying to get people to do it. But I thought figured I would go ahead and talk about it actually on air. So maybe someone could actually click over there just... It has to be something that isn't already in your, uh, what do you call it, your shopping cart. Uh, so it is, and it has to be, you have to click on the link before you go to Amazon. But then it does. you don't have to buy anything particular. It could be anything big or small, and a, a couple pennies will go our way. Uh, same thing goes with uh, T Public. I know everyone knows I promote the sales on all the socials whenever they happen. But also with T Public. Uh, If you follow any of the links that I post or any of the links that are on the website, uh, anything you purchase, whether it's from our store or not, can help the web, can help the podcast. A little bit bit of that money comes back to us. And like I said, again, it helps pay for all the things that we need to do in order to keep everything running. So I appreciate everybody. The last sale, TeePublic, actually did pretty well for us. So I'm happy. Um, Matt, I think alone, <laughs> former coach Matt, uh, helped out a lot because he had, he said, uh, I posted it in our uh, Discord and he's like, finally, uh, there are all these sales and I've either not had the money or there hasn't been a sale. And this time it finally aligned. So he bought like five or six t-shirts. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, just get people to, so please go to our websites and click on the links before you do any of your shopping, especially coming up to uh, the holiday shopping season. A lot of people will be using Amazon. I don't know if it'll work with any, if you do the uh, the sort of scheduled recurring purchases. 
but I suppose if you haven't already done so, it might. Though, if anyone wants to experiment with that, please do. I myself might experiment with that. It, I'd appreciate it, because I cannot. It won't uh, It won't let me do it, because it knows who I am and it knows my address, so nothing I buy on Amazon counts. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Can't find the loophole. No, no. Public it, it counts, though. I can actually buy something from Public and just figure, well... I won't have to pay full price because a little bit of it will come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's all out of the way. So let's talk about some stuff that we've been watching. I myself have dived into the old series Tales of the Gold Monkey. I saw that, and that's one I haven't... Oh God, I don't think I've seen that since it originally aired. Ditto. This is the first time I've I've watched any of it since probably it aired, and I I'm sure I didn't watch all of it. And I even have a feeling that maybe this was one of those shows that just kept getting pushed and bounced around. It might not have yeah. been consistently on at the same time. I was kind of inspired to watch it. It was a couple months ago now, but uh, the podcast Forgotten TV did a big, big retrospective on the show. And just hearing him talk about it, I was like, I, I need to go back and revisit that. And then I, you know, I got the things from the library and they sat around for a while. Finally got to watching it, decided I'd start watching it again. And one of the first things is that it surprised me that uh, the actor Stephen Collins, I didn't recognize the name. It wasn't until I saw him on screen, I'm like, oh, that's like Decker from Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> or, or or the guy from Seventh Heaven. Right. Apparently he's known for even uh, even better. Now, it's a it's an okay show. The problem I see that I've been having with it is it is obviously done so cheaply. It is all set bound, studio backlot. Even the exteriors are like a lake you know, near the studio or on studio property kind of thing. I think the TV movie, some scenes were actually filmed in Hawaii. Everything else, when it went to series, was all done in Southern California. And it just, it looks it. And this show, this one should have had like a budget. So they could have actually filmed in Hawaii. They actually could have filmed on set, or not on set, but on location in some jungles and stuff. I mean, some of the jungle sets, I think Gilligan's Island's lagoon was more realistic <laughs> than some of these, than what I've seen in some of this. And it's such a shame. It's like this show might have been something had they put a little money into it. You know how genres just kind of come, they come around again. And, and the notion of the, island-bound adventure kind of thing. You gotta figure that'll come around again. Something like this will inspire uh, a future series of some kind, one where they will throw money at it. Well, we'll see what happens with the the reboot of the reboot of Fantasy Island. Isn't there a new Fantasy Island series going on right now? Didn't that can- get cancelled? Did, did, did that already get cancelled? <laughs> I have. I am talking completely off the cuff on that one. I have no um, idea. I have yet to... I even recorded the first episode, and I have still have yet to watch the thing, because I'm like... It, I've literally heard nothing about it since it premiered, so it's very possible that that's as far as it went. <laughs> I have no idea. 
Yeah, I know they at least ran whatever they had of it. I just don't know if it's bound for new life. Okay, understood. So maybe it's not quite ready for the island-bound adventure. <laughs> I would have researched more had we known we were even going to bring it up, because that one's probably already obscure. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of that... Um, oh, I watched the movie Predators. I, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that one. It's kind of like for the for the aliens and the the predator stuff. I will give an obligatory watch of all of them, but they they all just blend together after a while. I don't know which one I've seen and which one I haven't. Yeah, they just sort of fade away. Outside of the original Predator and, right. and Alien and Aliens. All the others just kind of like, oh, I remember that scene. Was that the second one or the third? No, wait, that was the, I no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it all just sort of blurs and you just forget whether you've watched it or not. Now, this one I didn't see. It just, it popped up on Prime and it said, oh, it's leaving Prime in three days. I'm like, oh, all right. I don't have anything else to watch tonight. I'll, I'll, I'll watch this. I was bored. This is the one with Adrian Brody and Samuel L. Jackson, too, right? Lawrence Fishburne. Or was it Lawrence Fishburne? Lawrence Fishburne. I would say a cameo with Lawrence Fishburne, yes. Special guest star. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's why I just jumped to Samuel L. Jackson, too, because he's just in everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, see, like, I, I, I vaguely recalled who's in it. Couldn't tell you what the premise of. And, you know... Part of the series even suffers from the fact that they can't escape their own title. It's like Predator, Predators, The Predator. I'm like, branch out a little bit. Well, Robert Rodriguez uh, directed Predators, and he claimed, and he says that the the film's kind of like a double meaning, because it's about, you know, there's the Predators, but then they're talking about the people, the characters themselves were all Predators, and it's like... Yeah, okay, I can see that, but your film doesn't have enough. There's nothing there to warrant you like pretending that. Oh no, this is it's deeper. No, it's not. <laughs> this film has no depth. <laughs> Problem is, is it didn't excel particularly in its oh. shallowness either. One of the things that really, and I hate being this way, but Adrian Brody is. Not an action star. And the makeup they did on him, you know, they're in the jungle, he's dirty. His face, they had dirt, you know, he looked hot, sweaty, and dirty everywhere. But his nose wasn't equally as dirty as the rest of his face. And for those who may not be aware, Adrian Brody has a rather prominent, prominent. <laughs> nose. And so watching him with this dirty face and what seemed like an almost bright white nose at the beginning of this film. It was so distracting. <laughs> like I, I just, I can't help. I'm just like watching a nose drag a, a man around. <laughs> he probably went to wipe his face. And with that nose just hanging out there, he just got just the nose. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't scream action star. No, no, uh, there's just so many bad lines and situations in that film. There's the uh, the obligatory scene where everyone has to 
fire off their weapons at these alien dogs that are coming at them, and they're just shot for shot, shooting at practically with abandon. You know, no real aim, no thought, just just blanketing the jungle with their weapons. And after it, after it's all done, Brody's next line: uh, "Let's let's do a shell count. We need to reserve our ammo." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you think? <laughs> then they make line. They make a point of. Uh, there's a scene where he points out that uh, the sun hasn't moved since they got there. It's been hours, and the sun hasn't moved. But then, like three scenes later, it's night. Okay. <laughs> And of course, they don't notice like three planets in the sky until they get to the edge of the jungle into a clearing and then look up. I'm like, I think that would be noticeable. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably being a little picky. It's just supposed to be a stupid action film, I guess. But I was bored. Yeah, but see here, you're you're making a decent point in that I do remember watching the film, but. Your description of some of it is almost completely foreign to me because <laughs> none of it was memorable. The only surprise to the thing, uh, honestly, the whole thing was like a uh, just by the numbers from start to finish. And the only real quote unquote surprise comes at the end and it comes so far out of left field, it, it's almost comical. It happens, and you're like, what? He's a what? Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it for anyone that hasn't seen it, might want to watch it. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. It's got like almost a 6.7 on IMDb. Uh, people have commented on my post that, oh, I remember enjoying that when it, you know, when it's in the theaters. And so, yeah, I'm used to being the outsider. I get it. Well, to your point, like uh, you say, there's a twist. I have seen that film. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. I just simply don't remember it because it just didn't. Oh, didn't yeah. sit that way. No, no. A month from now, I'll, I'll remember nothing of this movie, other than that I didn't <laughs> like it. Well, maybe that's the treasure that is the movie <laughs> is because it makes you forget about it. You get to enjoy it like it's the first time every time you watch it. Exactly. A couple years from now, it'll show back up on Prime and I'll go, oh, I don't know if I've seen that. <laughs> what about you? Have you been watching anything besides Top Gear? <laughs> well, a little stuck there. Uh, uh, actually, uh, I did get to... Uh, Watch the uh, new movie, uh, the new, the newer Ryan Reynolds movie, um, Free Guy. Okay. Free Guy is uh, w without getting into too much of it. Free Guy is about a character in a video game world that doesn't know that he's in a video game world, but because of the circumstances of his creation. He, he is known as an NPC, a non-playable character. Turns out the non-playable characters in this world uh, have a bit of AI to them, and so they start to become conscious, living in this space, and he is the primary one that kind of does that. And then so it has mixtures of that, uh, of like Tron of um ready player one in fact it kind of hits the ready player one scenario pretty hard 
Um, but it's just, it's actually quite a bit of fun because it also takes the notion of what a, uh, like a first-person shooter game or like a Grand Theft Auto kind of video game where the entire point of you playing something like this is just straight-up violence, attack everything. That's how you make points. That's how you rise in levels. And this NPC has to ta- decides when he becomes conscious and he wants to rise his levels, he wants to be the good guy. So it becomes very comedic in this world where chaos reigns supreme. This guy is trying to undo the chaos. Yeah, fun. Okay. So it was a fun watch, and it's it's Ryan Reynolds at his usual kind of uh, goofy best. Right. So yeah, a lot cool. of fun. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds. I honestly, I don't know if I've heard anything about it until just now, but it sounds like it would be fun. Really, uh, it's actually one of the kind of the summer popcorn movie uh, mm. things. Is one that's actually done pretty well theater and uh, and streaming. So you're talking to a guy who's watching Tales of the Gold Monkey and Predators. So I, I, yeah. I, I, I am aware of who I'm talking to. So, so folks, where he uh, dials it back, I'm your anchor to the more current. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of current and future. I know um, there's some news that came out uh, in between recordings here that Michael J. Straczynski is in talks with the CW for a Babylon 5 reboot. Thoughts on this? Yeah, no. um, The CW seems a strange locale to to put something like this. Knowing the kind of content the CW tends to put out, I don't know that this is their fare, so... Every point that you can bring up in this topic, I feel like has a good side and a bad side. And you started hitting on it right there. It's like, oh, it's in talk with the CW. So you think, well... The CW at least gives genre television a shot, unlike like Fox or almost any other network. You know, if it doesn't hit it out right out of the gate on that first season on it, almost any other network, that's it. They're not even going to bother. Uh, the CW is like tends to like let's let's see what you got. You know, do the first season and look, well, okay, that's not bad. We'll give you another season and we'll they'll let the shows you know uh breathe a little bit and grow and give them a chance they've definitely kept a few shows on the air a lot longer than i feel like they were even warranted <laughs> you know they give they've give a series or two there was a uh series called pandora that after the first season i thought there's no way in hell this is going to be <laughs> this good oh i actually i know what i discovered it when it was on its second season, I thought I tuned into a brand new series, and it turned out it was the premiere of the second year. Oh, like, geez. oh, so I had to, I went back and watched the uh, the first season. I couldn't believe it got to a second season. <laughs> and then when they did do it through the second season, they got rid of the most interesting character. So I was completely <laughs> baffled. But you know, good on you, CW, for at least giving the show a chance. Right. Uh, the show, The Outpost, is another one where I feel like. It has not deserved the renewals that it has gotten, but it's finally the series is going to finish on its fourth or fifth season. 
So, all right, impressive. Good job, CW, for giving the show a chance. and It found an audience, and it stuck with it. Right. So, I mean, that's good. So as far as genre television goes, the CW is not a bad place. But the CW is also home to things like the Arrowverse and all right. the superhero shows, where it's just people whinging about their own personal demons and problems and having their friends come to convince them that no they're they're worth they're worth more and they're better than whatever this thing that they did uh, like yeah it's a shame they didn't remember that the other person just went through this last season or worse two episodes ago yes <laughs> and then of course they go oh wait we're a superhero show uh let's put on our costumes and fight someone in the last five minutes great thanks <laughs> Well, and the CW, I, I think the oldest cast member in nearly every show might be pushing 30. True. Uh, so when you're talking about something like Babylon 5, which whether you love it or hate it, I mean, it's a cheesy 90s sci-fi. It had lots of good story in there, but didn't ever always pull it off. Um it had lots of uh, uh, the dialogue was not always quite up to snuff and a little obvious, and so. But there's lots of potential in Babylon Five. Oh, absolutely. There, there's a deeper storyline there. You, you did, you had to struggle sometimes to get to it, but the, it was there. It was embedded in all, throughout the series. Is that the kind of thing that CW does? Because Straczynski, part of the plan with Babylon 5 was to tell this giant story across a a five-year arc. And the CW is pretty known for first season, is second season, is third season. It's just pick it up and do it again. Pick it up and do it again. Right. (laughs) So is this going to be their kind of fair? That's the part I question. Yeah. No, that's a very good question. Well, and it's not even so much CW. I think there's also an argument made of whether a story like Babylon 5 can be told in the 2020s. I think there is sort of a... um, Let me form my thoughts. I had a point. The type of storytelling that is just sort of expected in today's television I'll be honest a lot of it just isn't as subtle or intelligent as what Babylon 5 Babylon 5 was like you said it was the five year arc I mean Mm -hmm. it was the slow burn oh yeah there was times when you were emotionally invested in the characters because you watched them and grew to like or hate them organically over the course of years today's television i think a lot of that is like they will try to force you oh look how great this person is and now look at what he's done i don't know how to say this without really actually sounding like i'm insulting like everyone that watches television nowadays (laughs) (laughs) and maybe i can't i'm just not sure if it can be done but it's the original creator behind this reboot. Yeah. So 
will they let him? <laughs> well, one, I'd kind of hope that that because he's involved and this is 30 years later almost and I'm hoping that's what he's pushing for. It's how he did it the first time. If I'm going to do this, I want to do it my way over this period of time. And it struggled to get it done because since he was in syndication primarily, it was, yeah, it, it was tough finding homes for it to keep it going. But if he gets that kind of, uh, traction with the CW and, that's the law that he lays down, then maybe there's some hope for that. Well, and then another kind of argument against is, is it going to be fun to watch if we know what the story already is? Yeah, calling it a reboot. If you're really just going to kind of do a retelling of this, you have to assume that's the same story. I'd almost prefer a reimagining or even just a spin-off story or something. I, I don't know. Something in the universe, but let, let's update it like crazy. Because uh, as much as, as fun as the show was, uh, sometimes going back and revisiting the effects and the budget for the, uh, for the uh, studio work left a little to be desired. Oh, yeah. No, it was just like um, what I'm seeing in like Tales of the Gold Monkey. You know, there is definitely a lot of stuff done on the cheap because there just wasn't any other way around it. Uh, so, yes, you see, like, oh, they're using the same room for this. It's the same room with just different furniture. And the, the, uh, the using that visual effect again, over and over again. Uh, so, yeah, seeing the story and seeing the modern visual effects, I'm a little excited about seeing that. Yeah. But one of the fun things when you go back and think about your experience watching Babylon 5 was the evolution of the characters. Yeah. Because you could not sit down there and watch that first episode or even that first season and have any clue that the people and the characters that you were watching would end up where they were and how they got there by the end of that fifth year. Particularly, I'm thinking of like Londo and Jakar. Quite frankly, I always thought of it as the Londo and Jakar show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're who I watched the show for. Right. But their arc was some of the most interesting, and you were entranced by it because it was upending expectations that you might have had when you first sat down to watch this show. And so if you already know where those characters are going... right. Yeah, I mean, you might spiff it up a bit, but uh, yeah, I don't need to see the same thing over again. And I'm totally on board with that. I I just don't... I'm hoping reboot isn't exactly what they're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, they managed to tell different stories than were told with Battlestar Galactica. Uh, You know, love it or hate it. I'm of the camp that the Battlestar Galactica reboot should have been a miniseries and ended when they found the uh, nuked world <laughs> with Adama with a big clump of radioactive dirt going, Earth. <laughs> like, end of story. Stop it. Never make another one. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, I really like the uh, rebooted uh, Battle- 
Battlestar Galactica. So, so to my point, they had a show that lasted, what, five times longer than the original series and told completely different stories while still paying homage to the original series and just the, uh, even if it is just in, in the names and the look of, uh, of some of the, the ships and that sort of thing. So I suppose they could do that with Babylon 5. Yeah, no, I, I hope they take something. If this is a thing that gets off the ground, I'd love to see visually what they do with it. Reboot doesn't necessarily have to entirely mean retell. Yes. So, Maybe that's the um, difference right there is that reboot is not retelling. Yeah. I would be disappointed if uh, if it still has to be the same basic overall arc. That's that's the fear. That's That's what ruins it. That and if literally everybody in the cast is between 15 and 25 years old. Yes, that, yes, exactly. <laughs> then it'll be that Pandora show that I was telling you about. <laughs> I could see something like there was a British television show called Being Human that Sci-Fi yes. Channel retooled and made their own series, uh, Americanized it. And I watched the first two or three seasons of the British version. And then, of course, the U.S. version came on, and I started watching that. And what they managed to do with that one is tell a lot of the same stories, but at important points, they went, like, the opposite direction. It was almost like going reading those... Did you ever read those old... Um, those choose-your-own-adventure books? Yeah, the choose-your-own-adventure book. Yeah. It felt like, okay, last time I said left, this time I'm going to go right. That's how they started doing the stories with this. And it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Sometimes they went the same direction. Sometimes they took it a different direction. And then the show grew organically. There's that word again. Uh, based on those decisions <laughs> that they made. And it, it turned into one of my favorite series, even though I'd already watched three years of it on the British. I was like, this is a completely different show. It's the same name and it's the same sort of characters, but it's a completely different show. And I, and I enjoyed them both about the same, just differently. In fact, I ended up, I ended up liking the entire run of the U S version, whereas the British version, eh, I kind of petered out by the end of that third season. Well, there you go, J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, what you need to do is rewatch your series, and anytime there was a big plot point, go in the other direction <laughs> if you can. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's exciting news. We'll see what happens with it. Obviously, uh, I know CBS and CW are owned by the same parent company. Do they also own Hulu? Mm. I, for some reason, I was thinking they did. I was wondering if something like that, rather than actually end up on CW, if it would end up being on a streaming only. Well, CW has a huge Warner Brother tie-in, and I would think that might actually affiliate back to HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could be mis- uh, remembering. <laughs> There's so many streaming services and everyone... Everyone's owned by somebody, and most of the time it's the same two or three. So I, I could have been confused. But yeah, so... Well, and it would make sense, because uh, HBO Max uh, is, is the home of uh, uh, most of Warner Brothers products, and it's where the current uh, Babylon 5 resides for rewatch. Yeah, so, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if it 
is something that doesn't end up on the actual network and ends up on the streaming service instead. As uh, we've seen, um, things that end up on streaming services can actually be superior to that of uh, that's what's a what's available in the network. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that, and it would help them kind of eliminate the issues <laughs> that the uh, CW network shows have, at least in our opinion, as far as the uh, <laughs> the Logan's run of uh, once you're thirty, you're dead. <laughs> Why hasn't CW done Logan's Run? Oh my God! It just that it just occurred to me. It is tailor made for them. Everyone keeps talking about a Logan's Run remake. My God, the CW! If there was ever a home for a show about people who kill them, that you know, they're no one over the age of thirty. <laughs> what you don't understand is they've been making it all this time. <laughs> yeah. They need to do a meta-series where it turns out the CW offices are just like the uh, Logan's Run. (laughs) It's whatever shopping mall they used. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, holy crap. That's just an awesome and incredibly funny thought. (laughs) Well, that's all the news and all the stuff that we've been watching on the televisions and everything. That will take a short break. We'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we are going to look at Giant Spider Invasion from 1975. In 1972, American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV. In a small Wisconsin town, something was about to happen that would send shockwaves around the world. They came from another world to destroy the Earth. It was the giant spider invasion. Well, Doctor, it could be an abortive strike from an unfriendly power. Oh, come on. You don't think a missile landed here? I told you something landed here last night. This is the sheriff. Get on the emergency unit. I'm down here all by myself. They're hell-bent on destroying that beast. The crowd's beginning to take over. We'll call the National Guard back. Tell them we need some heavy equipment, guns, tanks, anything. They came by the hundreds, by the thousands, killing and crippling, creeping, crawling creatures determined to destroy the Earth. Could anything stop them? Could anything stop the giant spider invasion? There has never been a film like this before. 
crashes in a Wisconsin cattle field and creates a rip in the space-time continuum, allowing giant carnivorous spiders to enter our world. The only, only thing standing in the way of the spiders devouring our planet is the sheriff, a local observatory astrophysicist, and a scientist from NASA. This film was written by Robert Easton and Richard Huff and directed by Bill Rebane and was shot in Gleason, Tomahawk, and Merrill, Wisconsin. The film stars Steve Brody, Barbara Hale, Robert Easton, Leslie Parrish, and Alan Hale Jr. Rounding out the cast is Bill Williams, Diane Lee Hart, along with cast and crew, family members, friends, and local townspeople. This film had a budget of $300,000, but managed to gross over $23 million and was one of the top 50 highest grossing films of 1975. That has not stopped it, however, from being listed on the 100 most enjoyable bad movies ever made in the book The Official Razzie Movie Guide, and Wired listed the movie as one of the cheesiest movies ever made. In 1997, The Giant Spider Invasion was featured on a Season 8 episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now on the Sci-Fi Channel, the cast included Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy as Tom Servo and Professor Bobo, Bill Corbett as Crow and Brain Guy, and Mary Jo Peel as Dr. Pearl Forrester. This, a little bit like we were talking in our time hop, is it's what I love about independent film, some independent film. It is, and you said it too, it's somebody's passion, you know? Yes. They go out, they sit, they make a film, and so much of this film is done with just through contacts and friends. You know, no, very few contracts or anything were signed. He just went to, uh, Bill Rubain went to people he knew and said, well, hey, what do you think? Would you do this for me? And they said, hey, sure. And like, hey, I'm, I'm friends with, like, uh, I'll see if Alan... Hale uh, wants to do it and we'll send him a script and yeah it looks like fun and so he comes and he does the film too and then they get the local town hey we're going to do this movie and we need the the town and like oh okay hey we're going to be having a festival anyway why don't you use that as a setting I I love this (laughs) (laughs) kind of like a family reunion got together and a film broke out (laughs) exactly but it's exactly the thing that I love about some independent films. It's just it's just the we're going to get this done and we're going to get it done and have fun and it I don't know there's some people that just sort of um their passion is infectious and so the people around them really get into it too and even if that includes like the townsfolk or the mm-hmm. the garage that he hires to build the spider you know they get so into it they decide oh we'll build another one and or we'll, we'll build this other prop for you too i think it's fantastic and the fact that then, and then in this case they actually have a feature length film yes they did get it that long uh, actually uh, of late uh this was one of the longer films we've managed to watch <laughs> this came in at a full hour and a half yeah I'm assuming this is the first time you've watched this one on Rift. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, after watching it this time, I put this almost up with, like, Squirm. As far as, like, just a fun, sort of underrated movie. Granted, this one is definitely cheesier than Squirm as far as, like, the visual effects and everything. Yeah. But as far as just the same quality and the same type of film... I, it's like 
it's right there below it. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, the one thing I can actually kind of give, because spider films, spiders aren't super scary for me. So, but I get how for others that that might be a thing. But they actually do get some decent uh, jump scares in there once in a while where uh, I'm thinking of uh, the scene where uh, the character's in her bedroom and she's just she's trying to get away from the little the smaller spiders that are tarantula size Mm -hmm. uh, that are attacking. And then as cheesy as the effect is, she goes to grab something out out of the top drawer (laughs) and there's this like fully drawer sized spider the puppet spider how the hell it got in there i don't know <laughs> but but when she goes to open the drawer the thing actually jumps out at her <laughs> you're like oh shit i wasn't expecting that <laughs> <laughs> no i wasn't expecting i wasn't expecting as the mst guys put it her her dirty socks jumping at her <laughs> Um, yeah. For the drawer. I do think there was a couple of good cuts. Uh, there was people that would stumble in the in the woods or stumble in the field, and they'd end up falling into a dead body. Like, okay, that's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> that was well done and horrific. Nice job there. When you're talking about the the, the effects, so, uh, the one that stood out for me that, uh, that Mystery Science Theater picked on, the giant spider, the actual giant spider, it, it actually didn't look too bad. But I'm not quite sure why its pincers in its mouth was on its rear end. <laughs> it kind of looked like its rear end. <laughs> the way it yeah, was filmed, it, it looked like it was its rear end, but I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be its front. I'm pretty sure, too, but it really looked like it was... It's, shoving it's shoving people up its rectum, yeah. <laughs> well, get them coming and going. <laughs> I love the uh, the giant spider, the one that actually kind of moves and that you actually see like attack the uh, the baseball field and everything. They used an old uh, Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, that seems appropriate somehow. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they uh, they tore tore it apart, used the frame, and then built a giant steel scaffolding to build the, you know, put the the, the fur on. And, yep. and then they had, like, um, six or seven uh, high school kids stuck inside, moving the legs up and down. It's <laughs> brilliant. I love it. This is part of what then really reminds you of Squirm, because that was one of the effects... Uh, in squirm is the hat to make it look like the worms moving on the floor. They put kids under, under a tarp with the stuff on top. And that's how it. Yeah. I, I just love that. And again, just like squirm, they got the local townsfolk involved yeah. to be a part of the film. So unlike squirm, I mean, in squirm, you had people actually like, Oh yeah, this was a, he, he was, he was, he was Bob. We didn't give him any lines. We just had him ad lib everything. You know, he just, <laughs> didn't have anything quite like that but the fact that you could get a whole group of people and you know okay you're all at the baseball game okay here's like we're going to be making a movie and a giant spider is going to be coming around the corner i want you to all look terrified and run away that's actually one of the best scenes in the film i love that scene (laughs) and and even though it it looks ridiculous you can tell that this thing is 
driving on tires. Just the it's so smooth, you can tell it's being driven. But the arms or the legs are moving up and down and everything. But it comes around from behind the bleachers, and everyone sees it. Ah, and they start and they run across the field. Like I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's that right mix of uh, a cheesy and fairly well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> like it did. It didn't go badly. It just didn't look it. Great, but you still appreciate what it what it was. Now there was a when it was originally being developed. Apparently, it was being developed as a much more sort of hardcore horror film, and it was, I think, if I remember what I uh, read right, it was actually uh, I think Robert Easton is the one that said we need to cheese this up some. If this is going to be at all successful we got to add some humor and, and cheese it up a little bit. And so that's why we get things with, uh, you know, Alan Hale on the phone and let your fingers do the walking. <laughs> oh, Hey there, little buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, how do we get away with that? That's literally his opening line yes. in, in the film. Hey, little buddy. And I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> So that's where the, the the cheese, and I think, yes, I think you're right because if you would try to do this a hundred percent serious with what you had available as far as effects, it would not have worked. <laughs> it would not have worked at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, the the one thing in this film where uh, again they I think they there's some serious in this that that kind of became its own little thing and it 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 was the one thing that was kind of pulling me away from what they were trying to get to is that whole subtext thing going on with the little family on the farm the, the kester house yeah uh he he's a deadbeat cheating um Bible thumping guy. I didn't know how that was supposed to fit. Not really Bible thumping. He was just using the revival as an excuse to leave the house. He never went to the revival. Right. But, yeah, there's that. And then she's an alcoholic. She hates him till she thinks he's got found money now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there's the whole sister and the creepiness that goes on with her. Can we just get to the spiders part? Because this is uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, that's, I think, is what pads the film out to the hour and a half that we were talking about, though, is the right. uh, the family drama with the Kesters. Yeah, the hillbilly subtext was... <laughs> In and of itself, you could have probably made a movie with that part. <laughs> yeah, make a very different movie, but yes. It'd make a very different movie, and with some of the directions they were going... Could have been a really dark movie. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a... That was one of the things I think... Talk about things that kind of pull you out a little bit is... You feel like he was trying to make some sort of point with the revival and the preacher and his... The occasional... The way he they would cut him in and he would... Oh, oh, 
talk over and kind of narrate and and there will be you know fire and brimstone and locusts upon the earth as the spiders are attacking so like i feel like you're trying to make some sort of message but i don't think it's coming across (laughs) yeah it wasn't particularly clear on what said message was (laughs) Especially since, like, there's no necessarily one, like, really good or really bad thing going on in this town. It's just a town. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has the things going on. But, I mean, the opening credit sequence, the spiders are on their way. Right. <laughs> it, it It's almost like the thing that they're traveling, it, it, there's no intelligence to it. We just happen to be the thing that it hit. Yeah, we were just in the way, right? Yeah, so and and so yeah, when you get into the whole religious tone, the the preacher screaming at us at all times. I actually and I'm going to tangent for a second. The thing I thought was funny and I was kind of hoping maybe that's where he was going with this a bit cuz he was talking about the uh the revival and all that and Somebody actually calls the sheriff's office to complain uh, <laughs> about someone, and, and they're complaining about the preacher. But since that was in there, and since like there's no there's no impetus for why this little town was going to be the the scourge of uh, God's wrath, so the preacher part really, really, really didn't make any sense. <laughs> Him screaming at us didn't. Did, it's not a message that I was uh, understanding. No, I think the uh, the the hillbilly subplot is uh, <laughs> fits better than the revival, <laughs> whatever that was well, for. <laughs> yeah, and there was a lot in that one. Oh my god! <laughs> As we kind of uh, pre pre gamed the conversation, the the. We always talk about the uh, spots where Mystery Science Theater either cuts for time or for content. Yes. And this movie required a little cutting for content. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of both on this one. Time and content, yes. Yes, I don't know about you. Uh, The first time I watched this unriffed, I was a bit surprised to find nudity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And with the person that we got the nudity with, because wasn't she supposed to be like a high school student? I I don't think so. I think she was supposed to be in her 20s. All right. I'll I'll accept that answer. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't exactly get a sense of age for any of the particular characters anyway. No, but somewhere along the ways, maybe it's my own head that has to try to justify... Well, no, see, the, here's where I, I got that sense, because the the kid that uh, Alan Hale calls the little buddy, he's in with the sheriff trying to drum up uh, a story for the school paper. I th- no, it's not the school paper, it's the local paper. His dad owns the local paper. Uh, okay, okay, then I missed that little piece. Yeah, it's okay. just local. I really took that as school paper. Yeah, no, local paper, yes. okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Then, sure, he's in his 20s, and so is the girl. (laughs) Yes, Yes, uh, Diane Lee Hart is the one that provides the the nudity. She is topless and then uh, runs around in uh, panties and a uh, crop top uh, through the last 
well, her final scenes anyway. <laughs> yeah. Leslie Parrish takes her pants off, but you don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> Feel like we're getting into a Mr. Skin episode. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, Leslie Parrish, according to uh, Bill Rebane, was the uh, prima donna. Uh, she was the one, she had a chip on her shoulder. She was one of the few actors that actually was hired through an agency to come and, and do the job. And she <laughs> yeah. was very much thinking, I am so above this. This is so beneath me. I can't believe I'm doing this. That She was the one that everyone had a little bit of a rough time with. And she would uh, not do a few things like the uh, the attack in the barn. You know, yeah. she she didn't really want to do a lot of the stuff with the spiders and everything. She wouldn't do the attack in the barn. So I think uh, Rebane's wife stood in for her to get the puppet dropped on her. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah, the uh, the attacking spider in that barn was that was pushing it. Yes, a little bit. <laughs> If you squint and turn your head, maybe that's a spider. Yeah. That was <laughs> looks like somebody just threw a sack at her. Yeah, that was one legs. of the few times that the uh, the day for night uh, photography actually, and the actual the fact that they dialed it down so much you couldn't see crap through a good portion of this film. Uh, that that's one of those scenes where it really benefited. <laughs> yeah, I think I read that. All the night was shots were done day for night, but some of them were dialed down so far it became almost impossible to see it, but they just left it. Maybe due to time or due to budget, not being able to redo it. Okay, so uh, we were discussing Leslie Parrish and her being the one uh, actress that uh, the agency has uh, uh, gotten involved. So a a, a legit actor beyond... uh, beyond that she might have been a little hard to deal with she was the one though that i I felt like her role she she was actually portraying the character fairly well she might not have liked all of it (laughs) she may not have liked being there and doing the part but as an actor she did her job i mean she was being paid to do the role and so she did it she did not phone it in or anything. Uh, she did a fantastic job. One of the more effective scenes that I was even thinking of with her, which is why she stands out among the crowd of folks that were in this this film um, who were reading lines. Um, and a, it, it's a low budget. It's just this. I get all that. But she had that scene where she's sitting on the porch and... Um, the young man comes up to take her sister out, um, and she is lamenting her relationship with her husband, uh, and then flirting with the the kid because she's like, "If you were five years older," and the way it all played out, the way it, it, you could kind of feel that this is a woman like, "If only, mm-hmm. <laughs> if my life were only a little different." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, I, I agree. No, she was a fantastic, she did a fantastic job. And yeah, she kind of, um, maybe that's one of the things that kind of helps us film is she's one of the actors that sort of elevates it a little bit by being a professional actor right. and bringing that kind of level of of professionalism to the role kind of helps offset the fact that you got Alan Hale doing 
you know, the phone acting constantly. They they had him for like a day or something. Like, here's a sheriff outfit, sit behind the desk. This is what you, get, <laughs> you need to do. But that's kind of where this fits into its little spot just right. You get, you get enough um, decent acting. You get a bunch of cheesy monsters, but... But in real horror sequences, and then you get an Alan Hale Jr. to add the little comedy shtick to it all, and then then you make an independent film that that is likable. Yeah, <laughs> and it's another film where I feel like it's a lot of passion, you know, goes into it. Uh, Rebane did it. He went to Wisconsin on a fishing trip and found a piece of property and just bought it, and then turned that yeah. property into a film studio and it was for the longest time the only full-time successful film studio film studio in the midwest and he would do a lot of uh industrial films and his and, and that sort of thing and then of course other uh motion pictures would be filmed there using the the facilities in the studio and i think he at it grew up to like 200 acres or something like that over over the time making this film so they needed you know the house for the kesters they built a house because they were going to crush it with a giant spider so they built a home <laughs> that they could crush <laughs> right and his actual home kept getting in the shots and so they got a whole bunch of pine boards and made like a wall to cover the house so it looked like a barn <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of stuff that I think is just, that's the stuff that I just, I love to hear when it comes to independent film. It's just right. that effort and that passion. I, I think it's incredible. Yeah, they, um, you don't get to see it crush the house much because it didn't go exactly as planned. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so a uh, little clever editing here and there uh, just kind of cuts out the bad bits. <laughs> It was a fun, creative uh, spider movie. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Yeah. And it's the 70s, and much like we were lamenting in the uh, in the Time Hop How in the CW, there's no one ever over the age of 30. In the 70s is about the only time that you could have your heroes being middle-aged <laughs> adults. <laughs> Yeah, no. If there's anything from the sequence uh, from the movie that uh, this movie, as all movies in the '70s, man, they just love to end a movie. Just end it. Yeah, like you know, done. We 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 had our climactic scene. We're over. We're out of here. Everybody go home. The NASA and the scientists uh, just there in, in the foreground, going. Yep, we got it. <laughs> We're done. I'm like, jeez. Oh, but they had to throw in, then they throw in the little lines like, yeah, but could it happen again? <laughs> <laughs> and didn't, yeah, didn't the, uh, the we cut to the the preacher screaming something at us Yes, again? that's exactly. Because <laughs> you were supposed to learn something from this. <laughs> I'm not terribly familiar with Steve Brody, who played uh, Dr. Vance, our male lead. Uh, he apparently mm-hmm. did a lot of B movies uh, and and pictures through his career. Barbara Hale was, of course, she she was uh, most famous. She was Perry Mason's secretary. Alan Hale Jr., of course, Gilligan's Island. 
Uh, yeah, I wasn't real familiar with Lovesy Parish. Didn't know I was, ref- I was familiar with Robert Easton much. Do you know he was the Klingon judge in the uh, Star Trek uh, film? Was the the sixth Star Trek film, Undiscovered Country? Oh, was he? Apparently. Now? <laughs> yeah, but he was a character you... actor and also you know a writer. And a filmmaker himself, but yes, he was the, the, the Klingon judge. I thought, oh, all right, that's interesting, and I can kind of see it now, and I can kind of hear it. You know what? In tonight's conversation, that's our second Star Trek link, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can connect this to another show, too. Did you know Barbara Hale and Bill Williams? Bill Williams played Dutch, the uh, bar owner. Yep. William Cat's parents. Greatest American hero. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. See, the, the, this movie's just bringing genres together. It's bringing people together. It's a fun... Instead of the uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, I think we could probably do a Six Degrees to this giant spider invasion. <laughs> now everyone follow along on your bingo cards. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really... Who had Cat Williams for the win? <laughs> I'm really starting to think with these actors, considering how many people showed up in things like Perry Mason, how many uh, <laughs> things that that he did uh, in older films in the 50s. I, I think you could probably connect a lot of people to this film <laughs> this way. You very well could, yes. It is one of the best, cheesiest movies I think there is. It is a lot of fun to watch. And it's almost a little, I'm a little disappointed that it has the nudity in it because this would be like a really great, just silly family Halloween movie. It's so brief, uh, depending on who you're showing it to. uh, I I, I don't know that it even registers. Um, When it happened, when I was watching, I'm like, did I I just see? (laughs) Really? I wasn't expecting that. Um, Now... We have to get to the whole why we do these. Um, and so oh, Mystery yes. Science Theater. Um, yeah. I, I would say this is eminently watchable without the riffing. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, I don't know that I cared for this particular episode of Mystery Science Theater. Really? I actually found it to be as far as one of the, I believe this was the first season on sci-fi. It was either first or second season because she was still chasing after her in her in her van, so they right. hadn't gotten to the castle or anything. I was going to say of of the sci fi episodes, I actually thought this was one of the better ones. It might have something more to do with the uh, the way the, uh, my feelings started to shift uh, when it did move to sci fi because uh, I didn't find the uh, the the bumper pieces all that particularly good no um, the the quips were pretty standard i mean it wasn't something that you couldn't have come up with yourself most of the time you know that is a good point uh, there was moments where you know the best they could do is when the, they show the spider going across the field they go yeah, stuff like that. But I mean, it's the stuff that was in my head when I was watching it anyway. Right. So, so I, 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 that's where I'm coming with. It's not that it wasn't. It's not an enjoyable uh, mystery science theater. It's just it was more of a phoned in mystery science theater. All right, maybe I don't know. I actually found it 
I've actually found it enjoyable. I, I don't that's, really care. That's fair. I don't really care for most of the sci-fi era of MST. Yeah. But of those ones that I've seen so far and recently, which isn't a whole lot, yeah, I actually didn't mind this one as much. I, I do agree with you that the, the whole bumper is the... For some reason, they tied in the 1950s uh, Invasion of the Body Snatcher kind of theme into all the bumpers, yeah. and it seemed like an odd fit for this film. Yeah, and then uh, not that everything has to relate to the film, but uh, the the opening sequence when Tom Servo is trying to do some sort of cheerleading thing, and it just kind of go it, it went on a little too long. Mm. <laughs> Usually love me some Tom Servo, but uh, I'm like, okay, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So there you go. We found a film that's actually, we, we would recommend uh, watching Unrift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and usually when we recommend them Unrift, uh, we still like the Mystery Science Theater as a whole, and it was just okay. I'm glad you liked it, but the, for me it was just, uh, if I didn't see it again i don't know that it would hurt my feelings right i enjoy this but it does at times go against my rules of making fun of the film instead of making fun with the film again this is one of those movies where you can't deny that they're being attacked by puppets i mean you can't not say something (laughs) and when you're a show with puppets You almost can't get away without pointing it at Yes, but, yeah, uh, exactly. But no, like, I was thoroughly amused. <laughs> Why is it eating him from the rear? <laughs> <laughs> they do it a, a few times, kind of pull up oddities in the film. But they are the kind of things that you you would pause and, and ask the same questions. You know, <laughs> Alan Hale's on the phone and suddenly you hear something, you know, in the background. And you're like... What is that? <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> is that the guy on the phone? What What's going on? You talked about Leslie Parrish gets up in the bedroom and heads to the dresser. And as soon as she gets out of bed, the soundtrack stops dead. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, music budget ran out right there. <laughs> Somebody flip over the record. <laughs> I guess to your point, though, those are the things that anyone sitting at home would be asking the same and saying the same thing. They know what they've made. <laughs> they they didn't finish editing this and go, this is the latest, greatest masterpiece. This will go down in history as the world's greatest. They know they didn't do that. No, no. <laughs> so, I think they, they so got done it, with this one and said, it'll do. <laughs> but the point is even then they you I picture scenarios when we're when you make something like this of you laughing at your own work. You're going, that's as good as I can get it, and it's kind of fun the way it is. Uh and you know others are gonna do the same thing. So when I don't pick on Mystery Science Theater all the time for making fun of because I think the fun, the movie knows that's going to happen to the people that created it knew some of those moments are there. Uh, Wisconsin had a uh, Bill Rebane Day or or festival or something. Um, Ah. And they actually invited and Mike Nelson and Kevin Murphy attended. And they actually went and they said, you know, yes, we trounced your film, 
but we are in awe that you were able to do what you did for three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, right. It was still impressive <laughs> as hell. <laughs> And I think at the heart of it, which is exactly where we're at when we watch any of the stuff that we watch, uh, we're not sitting down and um, creating something for everybody to laugh at all the way through a movie. But they do what they did because they appreciate film. They appreciate the ones that got away, the ones that aren't necessarily... They've given new life to things that people would go their entire life and never know existed otherwise. So it's hard not to appreciate that. So it's fun that they uh, they also go, we love that you did this. Right. No, I think they enjoy, even though they may, <laughs> those are the films that they often find to make fun of. I think they maybe appreciate what goes into independent, because they themselves were sort of independent creators. I mean, best yes. brains what they were doing, you know, no one paid them to go do that. <laughs> you know? No, when, in when the beginning, your sh- entire, when your entire show is born out of a, a public access <laughs> where clearly you made this just for the sheer fun of yes. it. What, what Joel started, um, was just because he could. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you had as much fun yeah. with it, uh, watching it as, as I have, because yes, it is one of those films that, uh, I will, I got it on the Blu-ray. I bought the big special Blu-ray, uh, on it. You know, it's all remastered and looks beautiful. You still can't see crap through <laughs> the night scenes, but yeah, whatever. Um, but yes, it is an enjoyable film to just throw in every now and again and, and give a watch. So we should talk about what's coming up. Now, because of our recording schedule, we do record a couple weeks advance. So you know, by the time you'll be hearing this, we'll be knee-deep in it. But through the <laughs> month of October, we are taking our made-for-TV theme, and we were going all out for it. We are going to be watching 31 made-for-TV, mostly horror films. Definitely fit in the season. Yes. There was at least one that we know of for sure that is a... We're watching it because it feels like people playing dress up. <laughs> and as we pointed out, there there might be a demon in there. There might be. <laughs> a full list of the films that we are going to be watching, I have posted to the website as well as to all the social medias. So go there and see what we're going to be watching if you want to play along. Uh, we are pretty much going to start at the top and work our way down. We'll be back in the two weeks to discuss the first 15 films. And then uh, we'll finish up in the episode that comes up, I guess, in the first couple weeks of November. We'll cover and finish the uh, last half of the month. That's when you'll be hearing it. But we will be watching it all through October. It should be a lot of fun. I, The last few years, I've really enjoyed the 31 Nights of Halloween. Uh, this one should be a lot of fun because we've had some really great times with the made for tv movies this year we have yeah no uh we we keep finding gems among these now with a 31 <laughs> run marathon of films i'm expecting a dog or two <laughs> possibly but one of the things that i think we've seen we'll see how well it holds through through these 31s is because the horror films, when they're done for made-for-TV, they can't have the gore or the sex that they might have if they were going to the theater. And so they have to make up for that with a little bit more, 
a little bit more with the writing, a little bit more with the acting, a little bit more with just uh, setting the scene. Because you can't show it, so you have to just set it and make the viewer fill in the gaps. And I think that's where the advantage comes for comes through, and the when it goes to the made for TV horror. I, I know, growing up, a, a good hunk of the stuff that legitimately scared me um, when watching anything horror was just TV based, not necessarily something that came out of a theater. So. Um, this this should be a fun uh, watch. Like I said, uh, I imagine a few of these might not go down as smooth as others, but uh, but it's still going to be a good time no matter what. Yes, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun October. And with that, I guess we should uh, let everybody go so they can go off and start watching some movies. Uh, oh, and just so you know, I didn't mention it earlier. Uh, all these movies are available through various streaming services or are available on YouTube. They're very easy to get a hold of and watch, which is one of the prerequisites. Or the ones that we chose, we didn't want to pick anything that was really obscure that, oh, I have a old VHS and it was never released. You know, no, no none of that. This is all, you can get a hold of this stuff real easy. Yep. So if you want to watch it, check it out. All right, Tom. Well, I will talk to you in a couple weeks after uh, knocking out quite a few TV movies. Yep, now sit down with some roasted pumpkin seeds, some popcorn. So We're going to bring in fall right. Yeah, uh, keep yourself awake with bags of uh, candy corn. <laughs> you do you, man. You do you. Uh, candy corn's good. I'm more for the mallow cream pumpkins myself. Chocolate, lots of it. We'll talk to everybody later. Bye, all. See ya.